It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Talk about hunting in British Columbia. I support the rights of resident hunters and anglers in our province. I, I think groups like the BC Wildlife Federation, for example, do a great job, not only standing up for hunting and sports fishing in British Columbia, but also for conservation and habitat protection. This is one thing that occurs to me often, that even if you think that hunting is gross, you don't like it, you don't support it, you really should support regulated ethical hunting in British Columbia because it really helps for conservation of the, especially our iconic wildlife species and our threatened habitat. That's why I wanted to speak to Mark Hall today. Mark is the host of the Hunter Conservationist podcast. He's the founder there. He's also the founder, executive director of Blood Origins Canada. Very pleased to welcome him. Mark, thanks for coming on today. Hey, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Mark, the people I know in the hunting community really enjoy your podcast. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about it there if they tune into the Hunter Conservationist? I love the title of the podcast, by the way, because I think it I think it nicely wraps up the theme of our talk here. What what can they hear there? What do, what do you guys talk about there on the podcast? So the podcast um, genre is wildlife science, conservation, and responsible hunting in Canada. And it's mostly, we mostly bring on guests um, that are experts in their field, a lot of wildlife scientists, uh, and we just help bridge the gap between uh, what science is finding in conservation and keeping people educated and informed on all types of things that are happening all over Canada. Yeah, I love it. I think it's a, I encourage the listeners to check it out if they haven't already. And would you say, Mark, is hunting good for the environment. Like I love the title of the podcast, Hunter Conservationist, right? Because that's what's important to hunters. They want to conserve. They want to conserve these animals. They want to conserve their habitat. So that makes it good for the environment, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, I think where I want to start with that is with this word conservation. Uh, Like you said, it's in the title, title of our podcast. So, you know, essentially conservation, as I see it, are just the actions that we take to prevent unsustainable use of the environment, uh, meaning that we're using the environment or taking from the environment faster than what nature can replenish itself, which is called exploitation, or we're outright removing something from the environment, which is degradation. So basically the outcome of exploitation or degradation is the same thing that something in nature disappears. So that's conservation. So what is a conservationist? To me, a conservationist is someone who contributes their time, their money, their resources, their skills or talents towards conservation, towards preventing exploitation, preventing degradation. And hunters hunters do that because hunters place value on wildlife. Um, so like yeah. you said, to sort of put the, put the part aside that hunters take the life of an animal, but they do so because they care about wildlife. And I believe a lot of hunters care and value habitat above anything else because 
the habitat is what allows the wildlife to be there. Uh, and then hunters to go out and enjoy and get food for the freezer, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so they work towards that end of, right. of putting a focus on habitat conservation. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's one of the reasons why maybe there's a disconnect in the minds of the public. Like if someone is is uh, vociferously anti-hunting, and lots of people are, they think it's gross, they don't like it, they think it's cruel. But when you think about it, um, what you just said there, that the reason that, yeah, hunters are taking the life of an animal, but they love this, they love these animals, right? They want to preserve, they want to preserve their habitat. Could you expand a little bit on that? Because I was reading recently about if you go back in history, let's say into the, like more than a century ago, there were a lot of wildlife populations, certainly in the United States, maybe in Canada too, that were threatened by wide open, unrestricted, free for all hunting. Like a lot of species almost got wiped out. And it was only that the efforts of the hunting lobbies and hunting organizations that said, wait a second here now, we're going to wipe all these animals out. We need to have rules. We need to have regulations. We need to have ethical standards, right? So it was hunters. It was the hunters lobby that kind of saved a lot of these animals, didn't they? Ab absolutely. Um, it's a really, you know, interesting part of North America's history. And like you said, it's both, this happened both in the United States and Canada. So what we're actually talking about here is what's been referred to as market hunting, yeah. which is, which is not the, the you and I going out and hunting and getting, you know, some ducks for the pan or whatever. We're talking about market hunting, which is an industrial scale slaughter of wildlife for commercial goods. Yep. And it was unregulated and it literally was the wholesale slaughter of wildlife. This was during the nation building eras of Canada and the United States where the prevailing thoughts were still that fish and wildlife were endless and inexhaustible in, in the new land in North America. And so they just started to exploit wildlife for, for products at an industrial scale. The most famous one is bison, you mm -hmm. know, they there the estimates were between 30 and 75 million bison when uh, Europeans got here and by the end of the 1800s there was uh, about a hundred left in the United States they were killing between 5,000 and a hundred thousand bison a day the they were primarily using their tongues salting them putting them in barrels and shipping them back for restaurants in Europe their hides we've heard of the um, the bison the hide hunters the hides were actually used for conveyor belts and in industrial factories in Europe. <clears throat> the passenger pigeon was hunted to extinction, 3 billion to zero, primarily because they were a cheap form of meat to feed the growing population of North America. Waterfowl were almost obliterated off of the North American continent because they were commercially hunted for food to go into meat markets. Um, this is where the famous punt guns, if you've seen the old black and white pictures of these 200 pound guns, where a single shot, a commercial hunter could take between a 50 and a hundred ducks in one shot. Oh. And they was killing, oh. killing 500 a day. So, so, you know, the, the meat was being used. The uh, birds were being killed strictly for fashion, like egrets and stuff for um, feathers and women's hats. There was a point in North America where feathers of birds like egrets were worth more per ounce than gold. Wow. Uh, we all we all know here in Canada the story of the collapse of the Atlantic cod fishery and the loss of the culture, you know, around that. So 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 go back to when Canada and the United States separated 
fr from England. Um, that there was a lot of reasons they did, but one of the underlying reasons was that the kings had declared dominion over the wildlife in North America, just like they do in the king's land um, in, in Europe. Nobody could hunt the king's animals. And part of the separation, the independence was that the people that were living here in North America said, no, this wildlife is ours. We right. want to hunt it for food. Move forward a little bit. Canada and the United States have become independent and the elected governments just said, go forth these companies and individuals and undertake this wholesale slaughter of wildlife so that we have meat for the populations and the industrial products like I talked about. And it was hunters they kind of stood up and said, whoa, hang on a second here. When we elect a government, we have this thing called the public trust doctrine, which is we've uh, given the elected officials the responsibility to care for wildlife, which were a public resource in Canada and the United States. And it was hunters that actually brought about an end to this thing called market hunting because yeah. they believed it was critical to establish that the taking of wildlife, fish and wildlife, was only for personal use, not for commercial industrial uses. Um, so uh, most jurisdictions made it illegal to sell wild game meat. Um, a man named John F. Lacey in the United States was a member of the Boone and Crockett Foundation. And in mm. 1900 and 1907, they brought in, he helped bring in, legislation in the U.S. called the Lacey Act, which to this day bans the interstate shipment of wildlife products. Canada yep. and the United yep. States ratified the International Treaty on Migratory Game Birds in 1919, which I consider to be one of the greatest conservation success stories, you know, in North America. And, and hunters were behind this. And today, Waterfowl populations are one of the most successful bird guilds on the North American continent. They're increasing rather than decreasing like four song birds and grassland birds yeah. and stuff. So, so yeah, it, it, it's a fascinating story, but you know, you can still find contemporary um, examples of how hunters are still leading well, and advocating for conservation. It's not just something that happened hundreds of years ago. Well, you, you anticipated my next question there, Margaret. Awesome summary, by the way, of that kind of history and context, which I encourage people to be aware of. And But it, like you said, it continues to this day. Speaking to Mark Hall, the Hunter Conservationist podcast, how are hunters, let's say in British Columbia, uh, still working today to preserve wildlife populations and, and habitats? Because it's constantly changing, right? The rules, regulations, we got a big... We had an announcement coming soon on new hunting regulations in BC. Can you give me an example of how this is working on the ground today? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And, you know, if you look at anything that's going on with the environment, regulations, um, unsustainable use of the environment, you will always find hunters there advocating for habitat. I mean, you before yeah. at the opening of the show, you talked about the BC Wildlife Federation. So, you know, let's look at what the BC Wildlife Federation has done in the last couple of weeks. They were talking about a proposed gravel pit that was going to yes. take mule deer habitat. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about that one. Where is that located? 
It's in the Okanagan. So on a yeah. piece of private land, uh, I think it was near uh, Summerland, really important mule deer habitat for where the mule deer winter and a private developer wanted to turn it into a mine. Um, so there was the BC Wildlife Federation saying standing up for wildlife. It's private land. It's not like it was open to everybody with a mule deer license to go hunt mule deer. It's private land, but they were standing up for mule deer because they needed that land, even though the ownership was private. Um you know, British Columbia has pretty much the entire global population of stone sheep that live in mm. northern BC. There's a few, maybe like a hundred or so that dip, just dip into the Yukon, but most of the global population of this subspecies of mountain sheep live in BC. Yep. And the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia, as far as I know, they're, they're hunters, they're led by hunters, are the only organization that raises and invests money into protecting and enhancing stone sheep habitat in northern BC, supporting research on stone sheep and working on disease prevention. Okay, have, Mark. Yeah. It, it's been awesome to talk to you on, on these important topics. When right now there's uh we expect to get some new hunting regulations coming out here soon. Mm -hmm. What are you watching for? I just got a couple of minutes left here. What are you watching for here in terms of any kind of change in regulations around hunting in BC? The main thing that I'm going to be looking for when I go through that is changes to the hunting regulations, which are taking away from opportunities for people to hunt and for families to go out and get meat in their freezer that's not supported by some good solid science that says we need to reduce hunting or the numbers of animals taken in an area. Um, so that's the key thing I'm going to be looking for is the use of science in changing hunting regulations. And I'm going to be very, very hyper aware of changes that are being made to what hunting families in this province can do for non-scientific reasons. Okay. We'll be watching that closely as well. Mark, thank you for coming on today. Congrats on the podcast. Appreciate your time. Thank you.